This essay was written December 31st, 2016. It's first in a series called Diagnosed Mortal. Unfolding the Map of Tides. I ask that you indulge me in a little history here. I have been pondering life and death for a few years now. It all started when, surprisingly, I was displaced from my plans of retiring in 2008 from my employment as an academic library clerk by a layoff at 58 years of age. It was an opportunistic action taken by the university I worked for to maneuver the recession that year in their favor financially by rebranding my position. Unscathed, they ambled on without me, though it changed the trajectory of my life forever. Unable to retire, I found myself being trained for work that was the absolute opposite of anything that I had ever done or intended for myself. My library skills were finite. The only market for employment that was available for a person my age was caregiving. It ended up that I was trained in how to intimately care for the ill and the disabled. A far cry from the intellectual safe distance from people I was provided by clerking library materials. It was as if overnight I was hurled into an intimate contact with the intense details of the mortal coil, which included all the bodily fluids and broken bits. Suddenly, I was looking at life and death from a very intimate perspective, one I would never have been able to experience without this turn of events. I was kicked to the curb and into the trenches. I began working with the disabled and curious about hospice I trained as a volunteer with that organization. I found the subject of death and the mystery of how it functions in society and culture an endless curiosity and inspiration. It's such a mystery. Why are we the way we are about death? In working in a home for clients living with HIV and AIDS, I got an even more in-depth look at what happens to people diagnosed with terminal illness. It was at this juncture that it occurred to me that medical technology while saving the day, did nothing to help anyone understand what to do with that day or the accumulation of days that add to a person's reprieve from their death. This struck me as odd and unbalanced, like the social construct is failing in some fundamental way, abandoning those who are rescued from the jaws of death to an empty, what now? More often than not, the trauma of the rescue from the clutch of death leaves a tremendous shadow across the lives of those liberated, especially if they are elderly and not expecting a new calendar of days to live through in a manner that is acceptable to their dignity or in keeping with their idea of themselves. If they are younger, poor, and have no one to help them go forward, it is a disaster. There was a time I focused on learning about advanced directives, training as a volunteer, helping others and myself develop a dialogue around death and dying that was not so intimidating. 
I didn't want my children or the loved ones of others to be standing bedside wondering what in the world to do with their beloved's life when they cannot choose in the moment. I thought there really is no more important a conversation to have. We have the means and the mandate in medicine to keep people alive indefinitely now. It is a reality. So few realize that they are marching blindly towards this fate with every health insurance premium they pay. How do you choose for another at the bedside? What is more horrible than having to make these decisions without having had any conversation on the subject with a loved one? Currently, I have a few hand-picked clients. I get work via word of mouth in the community. The amount I must work to meet my expenses displaces me from being able to volunteer in the community, however, and I recently resigned to get my Social Security benefit early. I gave up on imagining myself in a retirement of gentle recline and recreation in my latter years. Events in my country regarding democracy, the government, civil and gender rights notwithstanding, I would have grown bored in a retirement like that after a while anyway. I know I would. I will work until the end of me. I will work wrestling this death mofo quandary to the ground. It is the way I am. Prior to the time above, my mother died, my sister died, my beloved companion and familiar Saturday died September 18th, 2009, the day before my birthday and a year and a breath to the day I was unexpectedly laid off. Such is how life can conspire to move us to a larger dispensation in the world. There really is no other way I know for myself. I cling to what is familiar and safe like any human being. I cling like an American, which is like a vice grip with a will of steel. It takes a capsizing or a catastrophe, sometimes a series of them, to move me into the flow. This brings me to 2017 with its shocking wave of iconic celebrity deaths, massive refugee migrations, and the work of Stephen Jenkinson of the Orphan Wisdom School. His work, work that I recognize easier than I understand, has pulled me from the ranks of an in-home caregiver to my role as amicus mortis, a friend in death a somewhat arrogant title since it reflects more of a goal than any special ability I have. It is what I want to do. It remains to be seen if I will be of any help to anyone. In, in this way, I'm merely an opportunist. It's not like people are standing in line to hold space for the dying. There's a need for this. I am perhaps a hazard for all I know, but I show up. I know that people die, and often that is not a journey many are comfortable taking. I can be there for them if they don't want to be alone in it. The, the ideal is that eventually no one will die without someone there to witness the passing 
unless they want it that way. We are conceived and born with a witness. Ideally, we should die with one in equal reverence to the life lived. I'm not afraid of death. I can be there for people. The goal, as proposed by Jenkinson, is to find a friend in death without anthropomorphizing or making death my little pony, but letting the mystery of death give credence in living every day. It takes courage and skill, and frankly, if it were as easy as merely a turn of perspective, everyone would be doing it, and we would be living in a world with much more heart than the one we are up to our ears in now. So it is I reach the end of my introduction to the unfolding story, which is this. Due to an accident I had on Election Day 2016, where I fell violently on my treadmill, meeting the anger I was feeling over the results of the election, I overshot the belt on the treadmill with one foot, the other foot went south, and I went down, full drop splits on my junk. The surgery is scheduled for January 20th. Here in the States, that is an event date, a rather large one. It's Inauguration Day when President Trump officially takes the reins as leader of the free world, as we are referred to. It is also the anniversary of my sister's death. I considered changing the date of my surgery But how can I, without turning away from the invitation, the original date invites? How can I, if the mystery of death is indeed my friend and ally? Over the last few days, I've found myself in an odd frame of mind. Quite spontaneously, I'm seeing and doing things with an acute sense that this may be one of the last times I'm going to experience him. Five years ago, I would have signed up for counseling at this juncture. But this doesn't feel like a death wish or a slide into depression. This feels like something I need to record and preserve in keeping with my interest in the subject. I don't necessarily think I'm going to die in surgery on January 20th. I do not hold to superstition, though, admittedly, there are stranger things in fact than in fiction. But I want to explore, if I did, how I might want to have my last few days not expecting death, but letting death near. I decided I would roll with the designated date for this surgery and abide with this next 20 days as if they are the last 20 days of my life as I go through the experience of being diagnosed mortal. Last night I watched The Last Waltz, a movie that is very near and dear to my heart, complete with all the misogynistic overtones that were the truth of the epoch. It is nonetheless impactful in American culture to note its importance. Scorsese captured these momentous musical acts And I can feel the earth move watching this film, especially since I was alive and listening in the 70s. I found myself in awe of it spontaneously surfacing on PBS on this evening.
I humored myself with, well, this proves it. I'm going to die on the 20th. I'm being invited to watch the rapturous stars fall in the form of my favorite artists performing my most treasured songs at the height of their celestial hark. Of course, it proves nothing but the fact that I'm under the spell of appreciation of every moment. It inaugurates my wayfaring with the mystery of death as my companion. A good place to begin. Thank you for listening. This audio file is part of my blog post, Unfolding the Map of Tides, at www.allthedifferentways.com.